0: Welcome to the Big Tech Little Tech Podcast. Here are your hosts, Sean Weston and Rick Huckstep.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Big Tech Little Tech Podcast. I'm Sean Weston tuning in from Great Britain and my co-host. Rick Huckstep is enjoying life in southern Spain. I'd like to think one day we will record an episode of the podcast using Apple's Vision Pro spatial computing goggles. But at the moment, with a price tag of probably three or four grand, it's highly unlikely. But hey, they have an advert for the Vision Pro now, Rick. Have you seen it?
0: No, I haven't, actually. I don't think I have. I've seen all the announcements, but um, I, haven't, I haven't seen the advert. They dropped
1: it onto uh, YouTube. That's where we caught it, and it's about a minute and a half. And they use uh, old film clips, you know, like um, uh, uh, what was what's the name of the professor in uh, Back to the Future? I forgot. Doc.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, things like that. Doc Holliday.
1: Yeah. So he puts the and it's all different versions of that, and it does take you back actually to 2007 when they did the adverts for the iPhone. So you should check it out. Oh
0: well, I'll have a look for that. All right, should we crack right on to Tech of the Week?
1: for tech of the
0: week well i this came out at ces and we'll probably talk a bit about some of the gadgets and the things that come out of the uh, consumer electronics show this week but this was the rabbit the r1 this is my tech of the week as well oh is it <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is the first time in 41 episodes we've actually got the same tech of the week
0: so the r1 for people that um, that haven't seen it is that it's a it's a box which i guess is about the size of an old sort of cd case right and it's a little red box it's got a touch screen and it's it's actually quite simple isn't it it's very sort of old-fashioned in a, a way it's got a little thumb wheel but the whole point is that it's an ai assistant and what this means is that for example if you today if you want to do something you open up your phone you open up the app you give an instruction to the app and then you you know you go through a process and the whole point with the 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 rabbit is that you just say to it, "Book me this flight." Tell me what the weather's like in Ulaanbaatar. You know, all that all that kind of stuff. And you basically just give it an instruction, and it's a little device that will then give you an answer. And it's got a little screen. Uh, it was kind of novel. They reckon they would sell a couple of hundred in the first week, and they sold out twenty thousand for this two hundred dollar uh, device. I had ten thousand units in one
1: day. It's not shipping till March or April, isn't it? it That's I right. I think so. Yeah.
0: But, you know, the thing with it is that I think this is one of those gimmicks that will not last. I mean, I wouldn't spend $200 on the rabbit. I liked the whole concept. And that's because this, it gives you a vision. In my view, this is what Alexa and Siri and Hey Google will become. Because Amazon, Apple and Google are going to build this assistant functionality into into their already widely available AI you know, conventional chatbots that we're all used to using. And it was always the promise 10 years ago that you'd be able to say to, you know, Alexa, do whatever. And it's never really worked. Um, I still struggle with Google Home in my house, just trying to get it to play, you know, an episode of whatever podcast it
1: was. is. We're having so much trouble with Siri. It's almost degraded, you know, in quality. It's poor. It just does not understand anything.
0: They can't seem to get it right, can they? But I do think they will. If if you could do the same in your phone, would you buy Would you carry an R one a Rabbit R one with you as well? I'm not well, sure. no, not
1: as well. But I think in terms of uh, the potential, it's a couple of hundred dollars. I, I think it will sell well for those people who who were into Raspberry Pi, for instance. You know, and which is still have, has a cult following to this day. You know, cheap and cheerful, but actually a, a cutting edge technology that can. Do something that the big tech guys are supposed to be delivering right now. I think it could be quite popular, but I'm with you on this. It may be short-lived because the big tech guys may look at You know, selling twenty thousand units in a couple of days, shouldn't we be getting a move on and in improving Alexa and HomePod? So I'm right with you on that.
0: Yeah, I do think it's really surprising that Apple have been so slow with Siri. You'd have thought they would have been right on this one because Siri is the thing that is on, you know, a billion iPhones. Uh, It's very widely distributed, and it's got a, a more affluent demographic. And yeah, it's just rubbish, all of them. I saw at CS as well, I don't know if you noticed, that Amazon have announced some new changes for Alexa. You can have like a converse, an AI conversation with the, if anybody knows of character.ai, it's a, it's a very popular artificial intelligence platform that you, you have conversations with personalities that you can create. And we've talked before, haven't we, about virtual companions. So Amazon seems to be doing, more than Google or Apple. But anyway, so you would buy a rabbit, would you? Would you have one?
1: Only out of curiosity. And, uh, you know, right now, I don't know if I would would it be a waste of money i don't know would it be something that our friend charles would say you know pick one up buy one and then keep it for Mm. 30 years and see you know that might be a thing to do it's it's still 200 it's going to be 200 quid if it ever comes here um Mm. and you know that's still a lot of money but but curiosity yeah i've got to say and i like its form factor i've always liked the square you know, why Why are we looking at things that are always rectangular just because that's a traditional phone shape? Make a square. I'm all for it. Uh, let's stay on the subject of AI, though, because um, perplexity is in the news. Now, would I be right in assuming, Rick, that an awful lot of people still haven't heard of perplexity?
0: You would be absolutely right. It only has about... 10 million users. I use it all the time.
1: You and I have used it for months, haven't we? We've used it for probably more than a year, I think, you and I.
0: Everybody who asks me a question about AI, I say to them, you've got to get perplexity. Put the app on your phone and stop using Google for your search well perplexity for anybody that doesn't know is a question and answer machine is probably the easiest way the non-technical way to to describe it and whereas today if you want an answer most of us go open up our device and go into our browser and generally using Google we'll ask a question and you do it using keywords so you would it's very unnatural you know if you want to know you know when a film was made you type in the name of the film and when You know you don't kind of whereas with with perplexity what you can do is you can just ask the question as if i was asking you or you was asking me and perplexity uses artificial intelligence to go find the answer it searches the internet for stories that give it the answer and then it reads them all and it summarizes them so you get back a short summary you don't get back a list of links like you do on on a search engine you actually do get the links as well if you want them and that's do you get all the citations yeah that's the great thing about perplexity
1: is it's set up to kind of be a bit more truthful i think and and to actually say this is where we got this information from it's not a hallucinatory sort of answer that we're, we're not making this stuff up necessarily and i like that about perplexity and that you can shape the answer that you want as well, which is also something you can't do on DuckDuckGo and Google.
0: And it also has, I also like all the follow-up questions because it will then suggest, so let's say whatever your question is, it will give you a summary and it will, it will list the five or ten articles that it's read to create your summary. And then it will give you three or four more follow-on questions. And so, for example, I've just watched um, Killers of the Flower Moon. I wanted to know what the what the story was, and I went in. I said, "You know, is I typed a question. You know, is the film Killers of the Flower Moon based on a true story?" And I got an answer, and then it gave me a load of other questions. It said, um, "Tell me more about the you know the Osage um, Indians." Yeah, tell d- me no more spoilers, about
1: please. No
0: spoilers. Oh no, no, uh, there'll be no spoilers. But the point was that with perplexity, it allowed me then to have a Q and A experience based on my original question, and it gave me intelligent follow up questions. And I hit the button that he had already created the question, and then it goes away, thinks about it for 10 seconds, and then it writes me a summary. The beauty is, as you and I both know, is you don't get a list of links, and then you go through them, and you think, well, which one should I open up to read? It just tells you what the answer is. Why is perplexity in the news at the moment? Well, it's just raised more money. It's now valued at about half a billion dollars, which to me seems on the low side compared to, say, OpenAI, which is at $100 billion And but it's because um, it's, it's, it's raising money and it does seem to be getting traction. I think it will become a more popular app now. I think there's, uh, there's a much growing awareness of perplexity and there's not really anything like it because you can't go elsewhere. If, you like, like, if you're on ChatGPT, you could go to Bard or you could go to Anthropic, but with perplexity... You can't really go anywhere else unless you look at Microsoft's Copilot.
1: I'm interested in the people that have actually um, in the Series B funding of $73.6 million. Some of the names are quite significant. So we've got Jeff Bezos of Amazon has put money in, IVP, which is a venture uh, partners, and Nvidia. Which is a huge one as well. So, there's some big names behind this Series B funding, isn't there? There's people getting behind perplexity. What are they seeing?
0: You know what? I think if you look at all of the funding over the last year on AI, it's all coming from the big tech names and venture funds. So, I think two thirds of all of AI um, investment last year came from the likes of Microsoft and, and Google and Apple and Amazon. When, when you're investing in a startup, you always tend to look at the startup founders. The people behind Perplexity have all got the credentials. They were all ex OpenAI, AI, they're ex DeepMind. You know, they've all worked in this industry. They know their way around. They've all come from the same small pool of, of AI technology, AI research companies. You know, they're immediately going to be on the radar because they're not some sort of Joe Schmo out of nowhere. They've, they've got a track record. And the people looking at them will know that they know their stuff.
1: All right. Let's go back to what you said a couple of minutes ago, though, because you said that, you know, Microsoft has CoPilot as well. Mm. I mean, and this episode is turning into a bit of an
0: AI fest, but I know you wanted to talk about Microsoft CoPilot in particular. If anybody who um, wants to put AI and have some AI capabilities on their phone, I would say to them, Use, download the app for perplexity. And start using that for all of your question and answers. And Pi, right? We we love Pi, don't we? Let's well, the- we love Pi. I, I guess the thing with Pi is that um, that's much more of a of a personal friend type thing. So I use Pi for conversations where I would which I would normally have with say a mentor. Or-
1: have you seen the little thing they've added? If you press the Pi button in the search box, so when you press that, it comes up with a, a little beta feature called. Pi productivity, it does. So um, they are trying to expand things, but but please continue
0: with Perplexity. You've got the utility is I want an answer to a question. Now Microsoft have launched an app called Copilot. It's a good, it's a good app. It has the same kind of Q and A type capability of Perplexity, but it's just nowhere near as good. But the reason I would say to anybody who wants some AI on their phone, download the Microsoft Copilot app as well as Perplexity because Copilot has some additional things, particularly because Copilot essentially sits on top of ChatGPT and on top of OpenAI. So you've got, you can draw pictures in Microsoft's Copilot using artificial intelligence. They use what's called DALI. So I've started using Microsoft Copilot instead of me going into, say, Canva. Um, But um, anyway, so that's why I kind of would add Copilot. I think it's worth comparing alongside perplexity, but Microsoft have not done as good a job as Perplexity have done at the QA thing.
1: I'm going to say no surprise there, but I do, I, I am, I'm not a big fan of Microsoft products I'm generally. But am I right in saying that uh, Copilot is a free update if you have Windows 11? But it's a, it's a lower, it's a more basic version of Copilot, isn't it? The, the free version, but you can still do stuff.
0: You do, if you're an enterprise, I think with a lot of these, they're all subscription. The same with Perplexity, Perplexity has a subscription layer. So you can pay $20 a month and get more for your money and more features. But the free version is perfectly adequate. What you find is that if you wanted to do you know, 100 drawings, you'll run out of capacity because they, they do put a limit on the free versions. But Microsoft's Copilot app is free. I don't know if you remember about the oh, middle of last year, I started talking about going across to Bing I do. and changing to the Edge browser. Well I've come I've gone back to Brave now. Okay. But Bing was the 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 forerunner to Copilot. Um, but Microsoft I've got a lot of issues with Microsoft. I mean they've branded everything that they do as Copilot. So it's very confusing because when you talk about Copilot you've got the AI that is in say Word or Microsoft 365 whatever they call it is also called Copilot. And there are other apps. Use, so perplexity, yeah, other apps use the term co-pilot as well. So I, I think Microsoft's branding is is pretty hopeless. Yeah, or it's uh, devious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's just confusing. I,
1: I also think if, if we go to the elephant in the room is, as you intimated at the top of the show, Apple's quietness in all of this, and I still think, I'm going to say it every show if I can, They may still partner with Inflection, the makers of Pi, Mm -hmm. because I think something that Apple has going for them is what people often criticize them for, and I think it's their closed ecosystem. And I think to actually empower a closed ecosystem that's very privacy-focused, and I know we could go down the road on what that truly means, I think it's a very careful integration of a very sensible AI, And I do think there's a way about how uh, Mustafa Suleiman and his team are building Pi at inflection and the way that Apple operates as a company. And there's some symbiosis there that I think may actually suit one another. And I'm going to say it until it happens. But my prediction is they're going to work together.
0: It's a good shout. It's a good shout. I wouldn't I would argue. I don't think it'll happen myself, but I think it's a very good shout. I'll put a meal on it. I'll take you out for a meal. <laughs> you know, it
1: might, it might be apple pie. <laughs> apple pie, <laughs> get it? <laughs> yeah. Chat GPT store is open. What's that all about? It's open for business. I mean, is, it, is this their app store moment, that Chat GPT are, are sort it's of to opening be. up a, an ecosystem
0: of their own? this gets confusing because they're using the same letters for different things so we have chat gpt which is the chatbot that allows you to communicate with the artificial intelligence system at the back end so the free version of chat gpt uses gpt 3.5 the paid version of gp of chat gpt uses gpt 4 and there'll be a gpt 5 coming out okay so it gets complicated gpts are the the ability for you and i and anybody to create our own customized chat gpt so our own customized chatbot. so the the ai system at the back ends are still kind of all the same but we can customize the way that they are being used for a specific purpose so for example one of the gpts that were that are at the top of the uh gpt store is um for finding hiking trails so if you wanted to create a very specialized, let's call it an app for the sake of understanding, that was just using artificial intelligence for the purpose of creating routes for walking, hiking trails, instead of going into the sort of general purpose chat GPT and asking a question, you can create a very customized version. So it's very specific to for walkers, basically, and hikers, yeah. Yeah, and you can tailor it. So you can, you can create an environment so that all of the questions... Are answered in the context of hiking. So, if you and I, if if our podcast was about hiking, and we had a website and we we collected lots of uh, uh, hiking trails from our readers and our listeners, we could we could add those into our customized GPT, which is you know Sean and Rick's walking trails, whatever we called ourselves, and then people that maybe say were followers of us, could go into, we would give them access to our version of our
1: GPT. And that's a good point. So so you can also brand it. Yeah. So say, um, uh, who's a good outdoor, um, uh, Blacks, uh, I don't know if they're still going, but an outdoor company could create that hiking app using that AI. And they are doing, yeah. And sell some shoes off the back of it.
0: Exactly. Um, now, you can only use a GPT if you're on OpenAI's paid plan which is $20 plus tax a month a month 24 euros i think i pay but G- open ai are saying they're going to share some of the revenue back so people that build successful gpts that are used by lots of people will get some money back uh, they'll they'll have ways of earning money as well as being able to promote their own products and so you're going to see a lot of companies creating gpts you're going to see lots of research firms so for example if you were uh, Let's say you had a, a, a database. Let's say you sold research on a, on technology companies in a particular segment, like say, in banking or insurance. You could create a GPT that was very focused based on your own data and what the um, what was already in, in uh, OpenAI's database, and then you could you, you could sell that. So that in the old days, you might have sold access to a say a spreadsheet or a database. Now you can sell access to an AI system through a GPT that will access all of the research data. And you could make that a premium product that, um, you know, the higher paying members only had access to. And then you get the benefit of AI processing that data. So I think this is going to be quite big. Have you tried anything yet? I have had a, a look. I, I have to say, not really. I, I am mean, quite impressed with it all. I was looking at creating one for myself because I did some work a year ago where I was I built a database of 250 brands that had I remember. You still doing that? No, I can't, I, get, I I knocked that on the head because it was it was a lot of effort. Okay. And I did I wasn't with with AI coming along, I thought why, why would I create my own database when essentially now with AI but now that the gpt's have come in the gpt would be perfect because i can take all of the data that i've got and build a gpt for my emerging technologies database and then use ai to access it that would be a great use case and i might i might in the new year turn to that and reinvigorate that one and and i would sell that like i did before as a premium product so if anybody wanted that kind of information just briefly rick is it easy to do yeah once you understand the words, the, the the jargon, yeah, you don't need to be a developer. That's the beauty of all of this AI. It's like you know drawing. As long as you know how to create a prompt, which is a, an instruction, then away you go. So no, it's still easy to do. Draw me a cat wearing a big tech, a
1: little tech baseball cap. If only we had them to sell, but we don't,
0: not not yet anyway. Well, we could do. We could do. We, we could do.
1: Last night, the US SEC approved 11 spot Bitcoin ETFs, which feels like a big moment for the cryptocurrency industry. But what does this mean for ETFs? And what does this mean for UK and European investors? Starting with the cryptocurrency industry, it was given a major boost on Wednesday when US financial
0: regulators finally cleared 11 Bitcoin investment funds to start trading on stock exchanges. This decision by the SEC was years in the making, and now it will allow people and institutions to invest in Bitcoin almost as easily as they buy stocks.
1: Lead the way on this one, because you are a bit more of a Bitcoin guru than I am. So um, what's happening at the moment? What does 2024 hold out for Bitcoin?
0: So 2024 is, is going to be an important year for Bitcoin, in my view, for two reasons. One of them is that there is what's called the halv- and a halvening, and I'm going to come on to that. But what happened this week, which is, which is Im- important, and I think the two things are connected. The timing is connected. But in the United States, the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is the regulator around the financial markets, so stock, bonds, commodities, all that kind of stuff, they finally approved um, what is known as an exchange-traded fund in Bitcoin. Now, exchange-traded funds very simply are an investment vehicle. It's a way for you to invest in things without actually owning the individual thing. So if you wanted to have some financial exposure to Bitcoin, but you did not want to have to buy any Bitcoin, you know, which means going onto an exchange and actually owning them, but you still want to benefit if the, if the value of Bitcoin goes up, then you can buy now uh, a fund as part of your overall investment portfolio. And this was quite an important step because the SEC have resisted doing this for a long time. They constantly talk about the risks of investing in Bitcoin, which is which is true of a lot of high uh, high risk investments. Um, but the, last year, a court case said that they couldn't. Their grounds for denying the ETFs uh, approval was not valid, and so they finally approved them. But it was kind of an interesting story this week that went with it because on Tuesday the SEC put out a story that their their Twitter account had been hacked uh, because uh, a a tweet had gone out saying that uh, these ETFs had been approved. And the price of Bitcoin sort of, you know, jumped 10% off the back of this news. They put out a statement saying this was a fake tweet. And then the next day, they made the official announcement that they were actually approving them. Yeah,
1: that's bad, isn't it? ah. I don't like that at all. Well,
0: yeah, t- I tell you what, I reckon. I reckon what this. I reckon what's happened. Is, it's not their Twitter account got hacked. I reckon the person that was scheduling, doing the, the social media automation, that scheduled the tweet to go out with the press release, just got the wrong day. Well, exactly. Because it looked like a proper tweet from the SEC, and there's no other evidence of fake ones yeah so so the, the whole point I would make about Bitcoin is that now that you've got an ETFs it's just another step towards what I would call mainstream adoption it's just another tick that says okay it's a little it's a little bit more credible than it was right if you just say the fact you've now got the biggest investment firms in the world have all got the means for ordinary investors anybody off the street anybody with a pension fund or an, or any kind of savings vehicle can now invest in cryptocurrency without having to actually own it and buy it and do all of that stuff that comes with being a Bitcoin uh, owner. Um, but where this is significant, which is the other half of this kind of story, which is that you have this thing called the halvening. So the way Bitcoin is worked, it's essentially a computer program that, that creates these 20, it will create 21 million and only 21 million Bitcoin. And, and a Bitcoin, it basically is a, is a, is a code you know is is a piece of computer code that's that's essentially all it is to counter the 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 crime of inflation right because the argument is that traditional money gets deflated all of the time because governments and central banks keep printing more of it so the value of a of a dollar a hundred years ago is like one cent today right so the way that they've dealt with that in bitcoin is that every four years or so then the amount of Bitcoin that are produced by the process of creating Bitcoin halves and it's called the halvening, right? So, and this is the fourth one. This is the fourth time um, and it will go from like six Bitcoins to three book Bitcoins in every, in, in you know, every 10 minutes, which is how Bitcoins are created without getting into that. Now, the significant thing is that when we had the first halvening, Bitcoin's price jumped to like a thousand dollars. When we had the second halvening, which was in 2016, it jumped to $10,000 or $11,000. And when we had the third halvening, which was in 2020, it jumped to almost $70,000. And this is just simply the effect of, of supply and demand, because all of a sudden, the amount of supply coming into the system gets halved, and that tends to have the effect of generating demand because any every time anybody knows that there's less of something they want to buy more of it and so you have this spike in price so i think the etfs and given the ability for retail money to go into investments coming just ahead of the next halvening those two those two events are not a coincidence i guess is my point
1: right okay i think we've lost all the mums anyway i think we've lost <laughs> mums
0: you ain't lost my mum because my 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 mum is pretty hot on Bitcoin these days.
1: Well, maybe we should get your mum on and uh, bring it bring it back down. No acronyms. All right. So so it could be a big year for Bitcoin. Uh, AI will probably steal the headlines still. Um, I, I thought we might talk about holographic Elvis, um, sure but then. but probably don't have a lot of time for that. But I know you're an Elvis fan, so um, <laughs> I I quite like. The whole holographic projections and bringing things back, you know, like the Abba avatars and everything. I'd love to see that show. I haven't seen it, but I know people who have gone and they said it's just fantastic. But the Elvis thing uh, seems to be taking things to a new level. Have you read anything about it?
0: I hadn't until you until you said we'll, we'll we'll talk about it on the show. I hadn't. Well, just briefly, you know, just for fun. I mean, I'm interested in them at, at, at a individual level and i am a big elvis presley fan i'm not sure i would well i'd be interested to see it i mean I, you yeah, know don't I think be it's... a
1: stick in the mud of course you'd love to go and see. it. i'd be interested to... to
0: i don't know you know what's the...
1: i've got to say what's the difference i mean this is the technological version of actually going to a tribute act and i i have seen uh, an elvis tribute act before and it was mm. just fantastic he did the um he did the three Phases of Elvis's career, and I'm not a big Elvis fan, I, you know, and, and he did the early Elvis, then he did the, the 68 comeback special in the black leather, and then he did 70s sort of Kung Fu suit Elvis. Mm, Las Vegas, he yeah. was just fabulous. Now imagine going to see a holographic version of the real Elvis based on thousands and thousands of generated photographs and video clips. I think it was, I, I can't wait. And I think you and I should go together. When <laughs> yeah. to I think it'd be fabulous.
0: Well, it does interest me in this, in this whole space is now where they're able to use, you know, all, the, all of the records, you know, all of the history of videos and footage and all that kind of stuff and all of, the, all of these music tracks and using altruist intelligence to generate something new as though it was him. You know, we've seen examples. We've talked about them on the show before where they did Dali. Do you remember when they did Salvador Dali on, yes. on a sort of a deep fake and all that kind of stuff? So that I'm much more interested in, although I, I am conflicted with the idea of, you know, this like in, perpetu- in perpetuity, being able to, you know, create, have a computer program that just means you can always have 1968 Elvis constantly coming up with new songs, looking completely real. Mm. And the guy's- New songs is an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I'm kind of a bit conflicted a bit in terms of, do we really want this? I mean, we can do it and it's interesting i don't know does it stop us from moving on because you you know there's a danger that we just get stuck in a in a groundhog day you know if we just keep listening to 1968 elvis all the time where does that kind of take us I, I, it's a bit. It, it, I'm troubled by it. I haven't got my. I head
1: think head that head. when I listen to Oasis, because every song sounds the same, and you're <laughs> stuck in perpetuity. <laughs> Sorry, Oasis fans out there. It's like
0: Rolling Stones, isn't it? I mean, look at the Rolling Stones. I mean, Mick Jagger's what 112 or something, and he's <laughs> you know, and they're still coming out new songs, and they do sort of sound a bit the same. Although, got
1: to say, I've got to say, I I'm not a Stones fan at all, but Paul McCartney. Uh, is is on the latest Stones album and the new Stones album is really good. Awards. So I'd like to... uh, I'm conflicted now we've come to awards because I've got two. I may halve the award this week. I'm going to say the first award, uh, the first half of my award is for the... Whoever made the Walmart Xbox Toaster think it's a <laughs> genius what is it? What
0: is you
1: can toast it's you know the xbox yeah it's a toaster shaped like the xbox it just looks like the xbox and the toast comes out and it's got an x printed on the toast so that's the first half of my award the second half is for the the genius who came up with the idea of turning old bt street cabinets into ev charging points and I say, go further and do it to all of those telephone boxes that you've littered around the country at the moment. Turn them into something useful.
0: Well, are the telephone boxes are not telephone boxes anymore?
1: No, no, no they haven't been for a, such a long time as well. they already. In the old I mean, UK, you said, right, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's right. And they're all littering up, damaged, and this, that, and the other. Some nice communities have turned them into portable libraries, you know, book swap things. But, um, yeah, generally they've just been left to rot by BT. And I think uh, they should also turn those into EV charging points. How about your award?
0: Well, I was going to go with something much, not as, not anywhere near as, as off the wall as your two uh, ideas, although I, I liked both of them. I would um, I, get, Thank get, you. My, get my goat's bell ringing for those. But my hero of the week, I'm, I'm going with Satya Nadella, the boss of Microsoft, because um, although I'm no fan of Microsoft at all, like you, I'm an Apple. You have to give credit to him for his strategy because Microsoft this week overtook Apple as the most valuable company in the world. I mean, they're neck and neck. I mean, there's there's a cigarette paper between the two of them, but Microsoft are technically more valuable now than Apple. And I don't think we would have said that a few years ago. I don't think we would have said that Microsoft would be back dominating. And it's entirely because of their tie-up with OpenAI, where they own 49% of the company. Uh, you know, which is ChatGPT. So, um, yeah, so hats off to Satya Nadella. I, just, I don't want to uh, make the show go on
1: too much longer, um, but I just want to say that uh, thanks for the recommendation on Mustafa Suleiman's The Coming Wave. I quite enjoyed it. What a read. I also recommend it, and I know it was one of your awards of the past.
0: Yeah, it's a very good book. It's anybody who wants to get a sense, uh, a non-technical, non, not super jargoned, view of where the world is could be heading yeah
1: unlike rick's explanation of bitcoin (laughs) 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 anyway thanks for listening to the show everybody you can find the full video version of the show on patreon and youtube rick and i will be back soon with another not so serious look big tech little tech and everything in between thanks for listening i was sean weston
0: and i was rick huckstep